Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. If you were here this time last year, anyone here around this time last year, September last year? Yeah, Anoush, Michelle's like, I don't know. I can't remember that. How can I remember that? I mean, what? It's like, your preaching's not that good, Andy. Yeah. Okay. Some of you may have been around at this time last year. And if you were, you may, you may remember that we did a vision series. You may not, actually. You might have been sitting here and don't remember at all. But um, we basically did a vision series here, three-week series. And what we did, we started it off by like going through the history of CCM Kingsway. I mean, it's not a massively long history, but like 2014, 15. Um, but we went through all the various names. CCM, well, it used to be Kingsway, now it's Heaton's, has had. I think it started off as CC, CCM West Didsbury, then became CCM Didsbury, then it became CCM Kingsway, then eventually ended up in CCM Heaton's. Had a number of different uh, venues. Um, there's lots of funny stories about lots of the venues and about lasting one week in one and then having to leave and then meeting in various pubs and churches and various places. And then eventually, I shared last year how we eventually got here in July 2021 in the Heaton Center and we renamed ourselves as CCM Heaton. So you might, anyone remember all that last year? Few people, yeah, few of you were here for that. Now, you may have remembered as well that I finished by kind of sharing all that by saying that in the last year, so the year from sort of September 2021 to September 2022 last year, we grew from about 40 adults at the start of September 2021 to about 60 adults by 2022. And we grew by sort of from sort of 17 kids to 30 kids. So basically we grew from about about 50% growth in a year which um, doesn't sound massive numerically, but it sounds more, you know, percentage-wise. But it was, it was quite, quite a good bit of growth in one year. A little bit of that was like, you know, post-COVID shakedown, everyone realizing I, I should probably start going to church again and, you know, showing up and joining. But part of the, the result of that, of me sharing that last year, was like, everyone was like, wow, Andy, we are growing pretty fast here. If we grow at this rate for much longer, we're going to need to find a new venue because this place is going to very soon get very small. And everyone was like, yeah, right, let's, you know, we need a new venue. Okay, problem. Um, And, you know, we did what everyone does when they have a problem. We made a spreadsheet. Yes, you thought I was going to say pray. Well, we did pray as well, but we did make a spreadsheet and put loads of like potential venues, schools, pubs, whatever, in the local area on this spreadsheet. And we started phoning them up and asking them, could we meet here, could we meet there? And uh, we looked at loads of different places, but nothing seemed to come up. You know, there's a few times where we're like, oh, could, they, could this be the place? And then it's like, oh, no, it's not gonna work. We went, we actually saw Parswood High School and they're like, yeah, you can have it. And then we went to the room and it's like, yeah, seat's 1,500. I was like, ah, yeah, it's a little bit big for us. I mean, we'll fit, you know, but I think that's the issue, <laughs> you know. So, so like, yeah, maybe not. There's a local church nearby who were like, you could maybe use ours, and that didn't quite work out either. So, you know, I, I was, you know, myself and a bunch of us here all thinking, okay, what are we going to do? Like, what do we do to solve this problem? Good problem to have. Well, then two things happened that helped us kind of solve the problem. Firstly, some people left. So, which sometimes happens in church, a few people 
moved on from church for various reasons. Little bit of it, I think, was probably still the post-COVID shakedown, but some, yeah, various different reasons some people left. Other people joined, so there was a good, quite a few people joined, quite a few people, there was a, a big change, I think, but the result, one of the results was that we didn't grow by 50% last year. And in fact, probably numerically, we're about the same place we were uh, last year. So some people left, some people joined, but we're in the same place. Now, I feel like there's a greater sense of unity and community where we are right now, but numerically, we're not bigger. So one of the results of that is less pressure in terms of the whole space issue, size, space issue. The second thing that helped solve this problem was a bunch of us started chatting and realized something. We realized we quite like this place, you know? Quite like this place, the Heaton Center. I mean, right in the center of the community, it's visible, you know, it's, it's great for returning your library books. You know, you're right next to the library right there. You know, we've had people coming along who've heard the thuds from the library and thought, hey, I might start going back to church. So there are, there are numerous advantages. We've had other people come along from church because they've just heard the music out of the windows here as they've been walking past. So, so, you know, that was something we're like, yeah, we actually do like this place. And also this room, granted, is a bit small, but the other rooms for the kids' work are great. And we have loads of kids. So... We're like, yeah, this is pretty good. And also, around that time, I had a bit of a, a moment, um, whether it was a God moment or not, or whether it was just me thinking, but I was like, okay, what do we, I just think, okay, what do we do well at CCM? What are the things we do well? Now, and I realized one of the things we do well at CCM is planting new sites. You know, it's kind of in our DNA. And I just started thinking, look, when we get too big, and I believe we probably will, when we get too big, I just had a sense of, well, do what, do what you do best. Take, I don't know, 15, 20 people, whatever, and plant somewhere else. And I just had a sense, now I'm not saying that's a God thing, but it just, it was, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm settled in myself on that. Now, that all said, if there was a super duper building that came up right tomorrow, yes, we obviously would look at it. But I think there was a little bit of a settledness amongst a few of us that, you know what, this venue is great. Let's stay here. If we do outgrow the venue, and let's be honest, it isn't going to take millions of people for us to outgrow this venue. But if we do, let's do what we do best and let's plant. And that's just a little bit. A few of us kind of settled on that. Now, things can change, but that's where we got to on, on that one over the last year. Now, Getting clarity on the venue wasn't the only thing that happened last year here at church. There's a few other things that happened at church last year that I was really pleased with and, you know, warmed my heart. You know, sometimes you just get things that just warm your heart. Yes? Yes, you do, yes. It's just that awkward moment. I wanted a bit of response and I, I just didn't get it. Anyway, yeah. So, um, yeah, that warmed my heart. The first heartwarming thing uh, was when we started the CAP Job Club, which we started last October. We started that jointly with CCM Reddish. Jamie was involved last year. Still involved this year, Jamie? Yes, you are. Yeah, great. Um, and I was chatting with Nikki, who's involved in it from, from Reddish, and she was saying they basically had a cohort of about 14 people coming along to that throughout the year, six of whom got jobs and didn't have jobs before. So I think, yeah, I mean, that's a Great blessing for the community. And also, aside from just the job aspect, numbers of them, you know, heard about Jesus, heard about God, and got connected to, into church as well. So 
it, it's been a great year. It's really pleased me hearing about the good stories that have come from the job club. I think we're restarting back in October, Jamie, is that right? Nikki's getting a bunch of publicity out, looking at new places where she can kind of advertise that and get a new cohort in and, yeah, help them find Jesus and find jobs. I think that's essentially what happens with that. So that, that was really pleasing, the CAP job club. Also, this last year, we saw 19 people get baptized at CCM, which is fantastic. And I think most of those were actually genuine new conversions. 19 people across all the sites at CCM, which I think is fantastic. Amen? That is great. And one of those who got baptized was our very own Sam O'Toole, um, who is certainly in the time Elizabeth and I have been at the Heatons. He's the first kid from the Heatons to you know, make a decision to follow Christ and get baptized, which was a very fun moment when Tom and Emma got to baptize Sam, and there was lots of cheering and lots of excitement. But I was just, it made me think, we've actually got what, something like, I looked the other day, there's 27 kids here at the Heatons, all under the age of, I think, nine. Well, whatever age Sam is, he's the oldest. Everybody's younger than that, basically. And they're in our kids' work, they're there now doing kids' work in our three different groups. And I was just thinking, and I shared this last year, you know, what I would love to see is for all of those kids to come and know and love the Lord. Wouldn't we all like to see that? That is what I'd love to see. And I was just thinking, imagine if that happened, what a great legacy that would be to not just this city, not just this nation, but to the world. I mean, who knows where they go and what they do, and they are disciples following Jesus proclaiming his name wherever they go. That will be a fantastic legacy. So my prayer is that Sam's baptism, that will be the first of many, and we'll be able to celebrate lots of our kids, you know, making that decision to follow Jesus and getting baptized over the next months and years. Amen? Yes. Now, another thing, heartwarming, lots of heartwarming things. Want another one? Okay, so a year and a half ago, yeah, Becca, just Becca, just Becca, yeah. You can be my response person. Yeah, everyone else, just, yeah. Um, so a year and a half ago, Elizabeth and I, we started chatting um, about, like, how do we reach out? What are some other ways we could reach out missionally into the Heatons? Like, how do we do that? What, what, what ways do we do that? Um, we started chatting and thinking, and, um, and, and, and what we've done in the past when it comes to mission stuff is... is in previous sites, is we, we figure out, okay, what are we as a site? Like, who do we have? And then use what we have to reach people outside. So we thought, well, we have a lot of kids, don't we? Like, yeah, we have a lot of kids. So one of the things we, we suggested when we did our kind of envisioning kind of evening last year was let's try and start like a, a midweek kids group, like a group that meets midweek, that reaches out to kids, does some Bible stories, some games, some teaching, some stuff like that. So everyone, I mean, no one's going to disagree with that. So everyone was like, yes, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And we got our house model vision document. So you remember that from last year. So we wrote that on there. Start a midweek kids group. Now, the one thing we all agreed when we were doing that was, yes, we're all in agreement that a midweek kids group would be awesome. But who wants to run it? Nobody, nobody has capacity to run it. And to be honest, like Elizabeth and I, we weren't putting our hands up either. We were like, yeah, like everybody's maxed. So we're like, in principle, good idea, but we don't have someone to run it. So Elizabeth, like, we're going to put it on the vision doc and we're going to pray that someone would come and run it. We're going to pray, look, if God, look, God, if this is your, is this from you, you're going to provide someone to run this. So then, two months ago, Stephen and Abby McKenzie, 
joined CCM Heaton's. There was that nobody did, nobody had to whoop, but they did. That's a good good sign. But um, so when they were joining, I, I said, "Oh yeah, we've got a little vision thing of where we want to be in three years. Do you want to have a look?" So I showed it to Stephen Abbey, and Abby read it. She's like, "Oh, Tristy, you've got this thing on here that says start a midweek kids group." I was like, "Yeah, you do know, Andy. That's what I do for my job." I was like, "Really?" I was like, "Yeah, do you want me to start one for you?" I was like, "Yes." Well, actually. I tried to play cool, and so I was like, oh, yeah, interesting. I didn't say yes initially. I was like, yeah, interesting. Inwardly, I was like, yes, Lord. I was like, oh, let me just think about that. And then I thought of her about, like, you know, 10 seconds, thinking back. I was like, yes, do it. That'd be great. And cut a long story short, on Tuesday, just gone there, we had our first voice kids group right here in, well, it was supposed to be in this room. I think it was in that room. Uh, I think we what, 18 kids signed up. I think there's a few more who are thinking about coming as well. And just, just a fantastic, like, low-level way for kids to explore faith. It's fun. There's some singing. There's some activities. And, yeah, just great. Max was there. He had a great time. I'm not sure if Abby had a great time trying to control Max. But, anyway, <laughs> he had fun. He did a lot of laughing. Um, but, yeah, my real hope is that our kids can go to that. It can be something that strengthens whatever fledgling faith they have, that they could maybe invite others and other friends to go to that, and, and that they come to know the Lord through it. Now, I realize that lots of people with kids have tons of stuff on, so it doesn't fit for everyone. We had to plump for some, for some time, but it's just great to get that going, and yeah, I just, I feel, aside from the actual group itself, I feel it was a bit of a God thing in the sense that I said, look, we'd love to do this. Lord, if you want us to do it, you need to provide us with someone, and he did, you know, so I really feel God is in, in that thing. So I share all these things because this morning we're continuing, uh, Colin started it last week, we're continuing our Manchester to the Ends of the Earth vision series. We're done it for three weeks. Colin began it last week. We'll finish it next week. And basically, we want to see the gospel go from this place to the ends of the earth. Amen? We want to see it go to the ends of the earth. We want to see this little band of people here on a Sunday in 2023 to go and produce fruit that will have impact across the world that will last for generations. That's what I would love us to see. I mean, I'd love to see the job club grow and get bigger and help more people. I'd love to see more salvations. I'd love to see more kids take their first steps of faith and get baptized. Also at CCM, we're, we're going to be planting a new site in Denton next year. I'm pretty sure when Jesus talked about the ends of the earth, he had Denton in mind. That's about as ends of the earth as you can get. Um, so yeah, I think we're really being obedient in following Jesus' commands there to plant the ends of the earth by planting in Denton. So that's hopefully going to happen next year. There's a couple from, I hope there's nobody from Denton here, is there? Okay. <laughs> hope nobody's listening online. I love Denton. It's great. I've driven through it many times. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, Andy and Zoe Cooley, I uh, hope you're not listening to this, have moved up. <laughs> And they have moved to Denton. Um, they've moved up from London, just arrived a few weeks ago. They're going to our Gorton site, but they're going to be planting and heading that up hopefully sometime next year. Also, I'd love us as a, as a church, as CCM, to get to start something in the city centre. That's something Tim and a few of us have been chatting about, again, in Levenshume, in Stockport. And I'd love us to continue supporting and planting churches into, into mainland Europe um, and into Africa. And also, you know, I'm really passionate about seeing stuff done in unreached people groups, particularly in, in the Middle East. And we heard from some of our friends uh, last week on Sunday about their work in, in Kurdistan. Um, so, yeah, I, I suppose what I'm, I'm trying to get us to see is that the effect of what we're doing 
the effect of how we're living, the effect of, of the money we give is having a, an impact, not just in this little suburb of Manchester slash Stockport, but is having impact right across the world. You know, I got an email just last week from um, the hospital in Uganda, and we, we gave to Uganda in our last Give Big, and we bought a bunch of medical equipment. And there's just this glowing report of just how amazing the medical equipment we got them is. I mean, it's simple stuff, stethoscopes, and like a blood pressure machine. I mean, really simple stuff. Oh, it's such good quality, but compared to what they ha normally used to, it is. So just such a blessing that we've been able to, to give to others. So just thought I'd encourage you that. But the great thing I love about this city, Greater Manchester, that we're, that we're part of, is that, you know, we talk about the ends of the earth, but people from the ends of the earth have come to this city. So God's even making it easy for us. You know, if I think of the amount of different people from different places, even in my street. You know, Elizabeth and I have been praying for lots of the parents of, of the kids in Max's class, and we've been getting to know them. Um, and there's one couple in particular, Faisal and his wife, and they, uh, we had them over, and they've had us over, and, and they, just, they just pepper us with questions about Christianity, and, and it seemed really interesting. And he was like, I invited them to church, and he's like, oh yeah, I'll come, but he didn't come, but I'm going to keep inviting him. But I don't, know, I don't know if you ever get this, but like, like I remember just praying, I'm praying for Faisal, and thinking, oh, Lord. He's a Bangladeshi Muslim who has the Quran sitting in a special case on a special table in his living room. I mean, come on, God, really? Can you save someone like that? I mean, that devoutly Muslim, can you save someone like that? And like even think of my next door neighbor through our wall, a Kurdish guy, goes to mosque every single day, never tries to engage me in anything. Have I ever talked about anything with Christianity or religion? It changes the subject. I'm like, Lord, could you really save someone like that? And I, I don't know, just the passage we're going to look at this, this, this morning has just really reminded me this last week that God can save even the most unlikely person. The person you think, oh, there's no way that they would come to Christ. God can break in and save those kind of people. What does the song say? He is mighty to? Yes, he is mighty to save. He is mighty safe. And that's what I want to talk about today, the power and the plan of God, the power and the plan of God. And I want us to see the amazing power of God to transform lives. And also, I want us to catch a glimpse of God's plan for humanity by looking at the most unlikely convert perhaps ever, and that is Saul. Yes, we're going to look at Saul from Acts chapter 9 very briefly because I know I've talked loads already. We're going to look at Saul very briefly from Acts 9. Now, as Colin mentioned a little bit last week, the situation around Acts chapter 8 was that there was a revival in Jerusalem. Many people were getting saved. Yet this guy, in the midst of this revival, this guy Saul is threatening to kill or imprison any believers he finds. Okay, He's kind of like the toxic guy on Twitter. The only difference is... His threats are actually real, all right? Now, the thing about Saul is he's not a casual persecutor either. He's not the kind of, oh, if I'm walking down the street and I happen to see a Christian praying, I'll get them. No, 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 no. He is, he is actively going out to try and find Christians and take them out. You know, he's really going for it. And he's so determined to persecute believers, he actually is willing to travel for long distances to find them. And on one occasion... He goes to Damascus, which is about 150 miles from Jerusalem, uh, a one to two week journey if you're on foot, depending on how fast you walk. And he's going there just to see if he can find any believers there and stick them in prison. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, 
verses 3. It says this, As Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Which is amazing, isn't it? I mean, we sometimes hear of a Damascus Road conversion and we take it from here. It's a huge conversion. God, Jesus himself, appears, speaks to Saul and Saul is completely changed. He opens his eyes and he's blind. He can't see and he's blind for three days. Uh, his mates who are with him, they lead him to Damascus, but he doesn't eat or drink for three days, and he's blind for three days. And then we see verse 10. Verse 10 says, In Damascus there, were dis- there was a disciple named Ananias. And a few days earlier, Saul was trying to find people like Ananias and chuck him in jail, okay? But this disciple Ananias, the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Basically saying, Lord, are you sure you want me to go here? I mean, I've heard about this guy. But verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, This man is my chosen instrument. Isn't this amazing? This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I mean, just think of Ananias. I mean, he must have been quaking in his boots. He may have actually even been in hiding at this point, knowing Saul was coming to try and find him. And God basically comes in and says, right, Ananias, I want you to go right into the lion's den. I want you to knock on the door and pretty much just offer yourself up. You know, I mean, he must have been terrified. But he obeyed, verse 17. So it says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And we read, if you read on, he began to preach. Everyone was astonished. They're like, isn't this Saul? Isn't this guy who's trying to, be, trying to kill us? Wow, he's preaching about Jesus. And he preached so powerfully that Jesus was the Messiah that after a number of days, people found out that there was a conspiracy to kill him. So he has to escape. He goes to Damascus, he goes to Jerusalem. He tries to join up with the disciples in Jerusalem, which is easier said than done because they're all terrified of him. But eventually he does. And then he starts preaching in Jerusalem too. And again, they try to kill him. So he escapes to Tarsus. And after all this, it says, verse 31, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of And you think, well, it would. I mean, wouldn't it? Its main persecutor has just been radically saved by the Lord. And then verse 31 continues, and the church was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. 
But isn't that an amazing story? I mean, I know we've heard it before, but we see the power of God there. He's mighty to save. But we also see that he's got a plan for humanity and nothing is going to get, away, get in the way of that plan. And something that struck me while reading this is just what a privilege it is that God chooses to accomplish his plans through the obedience of ordinary people like you and me. Like, think of Ananias. He was just an ordinary guy. But I think the thing is, despite me seeing that, it's important to say that Ananias isn't the focus of this passage. The focus of this passage is God's incredible power to transform lives. And also the focus is his plan, which we see a glimpse of in verse 15. He says this, to make his name known to the Gentiles, their kings and the people of Israel. So this passage describes one of the key moments in all of church history. God is choosing his guy to take the gospel to the nations. He's basically saying, God's basically saying, okay, now is the time and he is the guy. This is happening. So what does this all mean for CCM Heatons? It's all getting saved 2,000 years ago. It's a long way from Heaton Moor. Well, I think there's a few things I want us to take from this passage this morning for us as a a church and also for us as individuals. And the first is that um, it's quite simply that there are different seasons. There are different seasons in life. There are different seasons in church. I'm a farmer's son. You can't ignore the seasons when you live on a farm. And verse 31 It says, the church enjoyed a time or a season of peace and was strengthened. And we know from history that it wasn't going to stay like this. Persecution was going to eventually come again. But I think it's important for us to recognize that there will be different seasons for the church and for individuals. And that's okay. That's okay. You know, at the Heatons, we had a season where we grew lots numerically. We've, we've had a season where we've grown not so much numerically, and that's okay. I remember hearing Andre Bondarenko, the Ukrainian pastor who often visits us here, and he was sharing that uh, one of his churches had a, a season where they didn't grow very much, and they're a bit frustrated. They're like, well, why are we not growing? Why are we not growing? And he said, actually, it was, it was a preparation time. It was a consolidation time, which, allowed, which prepared them for a moment that was coming up. And he says, sometimes that happens. We have a time where we are being consolidated and we are being prepared for something coming up. Now, maybe for you as an individual, you you look back in your life and you can see times in your Christian life where you had real spiritual growth and development. development. You think, wow, real things happened then. And, And then sometimes you look back and there are just periods of your life and you're like, you know what? Like I was doing all the things. I was going to church, read my Bible, but like not loads happened really. You know, and sometimes we have seasons like that, and that's okay. You know, it's, that's okay. But I think it's also important for us to not um, pine for the things of the past too much. You know, even if it was really good back then. I remember starting as the youth worker at a church in, uh, in Bramall, and um, oh, for the first six months, there was just, anybody over the age of about 50 would just come up and tell me how awesome the youth group was in the 1980s, you know. So firstly, I would say, look, I wasn't born then, all right, uh, so I don't really care about that. Uh, we're thinking about the future, okay, but, you know, oh, so good in the 80s, oh, late 70s, huge, with hundreds of people, so I'm like, oh, great, great. You know, it's very easy to pine 
for the past. You know, and, and maybe for yourself as an individual, you know, you can look at times. I mean, in the past, like, oh, when I was a student, you know, I was so on fire for the Lord, and, and we can pine for those times again. But I think what I want us to want us to, to do is to, it's not pine for the past, but let's pray for a new season. Amen. And that's what our, our, our prayer week has been all about this last week, all things new. It's praying for a new season. So as a church, I want us to pray for a season where we will see people ready to respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him. And, and a season where we're going to see people find their hope and their joy in him. Can we pray for a season like that? Yes. And let's pray for a season where each of us experiences new depths in our relationship with Jesus and experiences transforming power in a way that we haven't done before. Let's pray for that, you know? I want to see us praying for that. So let's accept the fact that there are seasons, you know? Let's accept the fact there are seasons. Let's not pine for the past, but let's pray for a new season for God to work powerfully in our lives and the lives of those around us. So that's the first just thing I want us to take away from this passage is, is there are different seasons. The second thing I want us to take away from this passage is courageous obedience. Now, that is a good sermon point title, I think. Just, just sounds good. Anyway, I thought I'd throw that in there. I'm just going to move on. Courageous obedience. Um, but yeah, I love Ananias. Don't you love Ananias in this passage? I mean, he's brave and he's obedient. Like, he'd heard about Saul, so it's like to go to him and identify himself as a Christian. That was extremely brave, but he did it. And just reading this passage this week, I've really grown to really like this guy, Ananias, as I've read this passage. Like, he's not your typical hero of faith, is he? You know, like, Jamie hasn't written a kid's song about him. You know, it's just not. And, like, he's not the greatest person to write a kid's song about because there's, there's that other Ananias, you know, and he wasn't so good. You know, so you get confused and stuff. But this is the good Ananias, you know. This is the one who, you know, he's the good one. But he's not, he's not the big name in the Bible, isn't he? He's not Moses or David or Daniel or anything like that. But he was just this faithful disciple who was willing to obey when God spoke to him. And it's just, that's a fantastic example, isn't it? Simple obedience. And what it led to was Paul getting saved and the gospel spreading across the world. You know, fantastic. So we never know what just the, the simple thing that God's asking us to do might lead to, you know? So Ananias showed courageous obedience. Paul was also definitely courageously obedient too. I mean, think about verse 15 to 16. Paul, God says about Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and the kings and the people of Israel. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? Imagine God saying that to you. be like, yes, chosen instrument to the whole world. This sounds amazing. And then God continues, a bit of an anticlimax here, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You know, so it's like Paul, like, yes, God chosen instrument. Okay, going to suffer a lot, okay? But despite that, Despite the suffering that Paul knew he was going to suffer right from the start, he obeyed and he did it anyway. And I would love for us as a church to be courageously obedient, hearing from God and then being obedient to what he asks us to do. Now, if you're not quite sure what that looks like right now, I mean, not all of us will have visions or have a bright light appear and a specific calling like Paul or Ananias, but that's okay. You know, I've, I've recently 
started reading a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. That's what you, what, what you do when you want to fall asleep in the evening. But um, it's actually quite good. I'm like, this is really good. I started reading this commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you realize Jesus isn't actually short on ideas about what it means to hear his calling and obey, is he? You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Pray. Pursue righteousness and holiness. Pursue a deeper relationship with your heavenly father and so on and so on. You know, there's loads of things we can do. There's plenty of things can get us started if we're not quite sure at this point if there's any things God is asking us to do right now. And you know, it takes courage to do some of those things really does. It takes courage to do those things. So let's be courageously obedient, okay? That's the second thing I'd love us to take as a church from that. And the third thing, final thing I'd love us to take from this passage is to not underestimate God. Now, my kids uh, have got a little playlist in the car that they've been playing on Spotify, and it's the little uh, kids' Christian songs they learned on their, their kind of holiday club over the summer. And one of them is basically Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21, put to really annoying music. So I've, I've heard this passage sang to me in a very high-pitched voice hundreds of times over the last few weeks. Um, so um, I'm, I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to sing it to you in a high-pitched voice. Um, but... Um, as much as I would love to. Yes, I've tried this thing in the past, and it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's nosedive big time. So I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read it. Ephesians 3, 20, 21. And this is what, you know, I've just been reminded of this as we've been going through this passage. It says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Isn't that amazing? You know, the change that God brought about in Paul was definitely immeasurably more than anyone could have imagined. And the way God used Paul to spread the gospel right across the known world was also way more than anyone could have imagined. And you know, for me, this passage, you know, when I get the bad music out of my mind, This passage gives me hope that God's plan for redeeming humanity, building his kingdom, creating a new people for himself, that plan is perfect and the timing is perfect and it will happen and nothing can get in the way of that plan. No person, no matter how powerful, can get in the way of that plan. God's timing is right and what he can do in people, the way he can change people's lives, even the people you think are unchangeable, even the people you think are so devout in another religion, God couldn't get to them. The change that he is able to make is immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. That is the power of God and that is the plan of God. That's the God we follow. Amen? Yes. Now last year, um, when we put a start midweek kids group on the vision document, house model thing, um, and we, you know, we said, right, we'll, we'll, we're agreed, we are all agreed, we're not going to do it until someone has the capacity to run it. Elizabeth and I were like, right, we're going to pray for this. I'll be honest, Elizabeth did more praying than I did. Um, and my prayers were a little bit, well, they didn't have a huge amount of faith, if I'm honest. Like, there was a little bit of a, like, we're going to write it down here. And I was a little bit like, okay, that's that then. Okay, it's there. Um, But a year later, 
God didn't just provide someone to run it, but he provides someone who had lots of experience of running similar kinds of groups, also someone who works for an organization whose primary role is to start these kinds of groups, and who would essentially be paid by this organization to do it. And, like, it just really convicted me this last, you know, few weeks thinking about this. You know, I'm like, wow, God just didn't provide someone. He provided someone with bells and whistles. Yeah, that's how I'm describing Yabby, someone with bells and whistles. But, but you know what I mean? I, I, we didn't ask for all of that stuff, but that's what God provided. And God really used this situation. I mean, the group and all aside, but he used the situation to teach me to not underestimate him. You know, he answered the prayer and then some. If God wants it to happen, it will happen. He will provide what is needed and lots more on top. But I think it's also, he's also used this situation to teach me that there's, there's a season for things too. You know, to be patient. And you know, it feels like the right time for this, the right season for this. And maybe for you, there's a season in your life for something and a season that you're gonna have to wait for something. And, and maybe the waiting takes a bit longer. But there are seasons, and to be patient in that. So what do I want for us at the Heatons over this next season? Well, I want for us to trust in the power and in the plan of God. As he takes the gospel from us here in Manchester to the ends of the earth. And I want us to see the privilege that we get to be part of that. We get to be part of God's amazing plan. And I also want us to stay attentive to the voice of God, to listen out for him, just to still ourselves, to hear from him when he calls us and to obey when he asks us to do something. That's what I would love us to see over this next year at the Heatons.